Hey everyone, welcome to the show. This week's episode is brought to you by Daisy May Hat Co., the custom hat company based in Nashville, Tennessee. They make custom one-of-a-kind hats from wide-brimmed fedoras to cowboy hats. All of their hats are 100% beaver felt, and it's the highest quality hat you can get. They also have the coolest shirts ever. You can use the code BRASS at checkout for 15% off your entire order. Go and check out daisymayhats.com. Embrace the fever. Live the dream. Brought to you by Combat Flip Flops. Bad for running and even worse for fighting. Combat Flip Flops are your ticket to the unarmed forces by providing you with military-inspired quality footwear for men and women. To help support the podcast and in support of women in developing countries, head over to combatflipflops.com and become a part of their unarmed forces today. Be sure to use the code UNITY at checkout and get 25% off. And brought to you by GFDA. Good fucking design advice. The voice in your head and the foot up your ass. GFDA makes prints, drinkware, and apparel for people who want to do their fucking best. Go and use the code UNITY and get 10% off now on anything on their site, including our collaborative product, Fucking Help Somebody. And brought to you by Brass and Unity. We make wearable conversation starters. Our new buddy check packs are available now. Grab one and check on one of your closest buddies. They may need it now more than ever. Go to brassandunity.com, use the code UNITY, and get 20% off. And let's all heal together. Doc G's here, everyone. And I'm excited. I guess she has a full name, Doc G'day. <laughs> but Doc G is here. And I'm excited because she helped fix my brain. And so many of you have been emailing me and DMing me and asking me aggressive questions. And I don't have the answers to answer any of them. <laughs> so I thought the next best thing would be obviously to bring her on the show and have her explain all of them before I get started on that. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Doc. Absolutely. Thanks for the invite. I appreciate it. Oh, you're so welcome in every way. Um, I've been told though the past week, I'm a little bit manic. So we need to get that shit under control. Okay, good. Yeah. 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 We're going to work on that. The highs and the lows. Okay. The highs and the lows. They go all the ways with me. Um, I want to chat with you a little bit about how you kind of got started into why you care so much about healing other people's brains and stuff, because in the time that I've got to spend with you, I've learned a little bit about your background and you take this stuff really personally. I do. Absolutely. I've had, um, I've, I've been on the side of the patient. So I've had a few TBIs along the way and was very surprised that I couldn't find anybody to help. And um, everyone told me it's going to get better. It's going to heal. And then when it doesn't heal, they just say, well, this is your new normal. Um, And I am not somebody that's okay with this is my new normal. Um, I want to be better. Each day, I want to be better. So uh, starting at a, at a loss and thinking I was going to stay there forever, uh, was not going to happen. So, so we were talking about how, yeah, you do take these things seriously and you've had issues, you've had your own and you've been on the other side of it. And I do wonder sometimes it seems like that's what it takes. It seems like these doctors that kind of come up, it takes having to go through these types of things for people to be compassionate enough or understanding enough, empathetic, if you will, to things like TBIs. I think it has a lot to do with We learn a lot of things in books and we think we understand and we do from a clinical standpoint or from a medical standpoint, but you don't always understand it from a human standpoint. And so unfortunately, I really do think some of us have to go through things in order to be a better doctor for us to have that human compassion. Um, Not that we're not compassionate normally, but a true understanding when I sit across from you and you're having a moment and an emotional breakdown, I do understand that. I understand it because I sat there, I had that same moment of, am I ever gonna get my life back? Am I still gonna be a doctor? You know, what, what's gonna happen in my life now? What made you wanna be a doctor in the first place? Because that's not really a route that a lot of people like to go. It's like, hey, I wanna spend all of my teenage years studying and an extension, fuck it. Let's just do all of my years of all of the time studying. Well, um, I started out in the friendlier side of uh, medicine with veterinary. So I, I spent my time there where um, they're always grateful to see you. Occasionally you get bit, but you know, they're always grateful to see you. People uh, bite too. <laughs> 
I've gotten bit less in human medicine than I did. That's better. Um, But so I started there because I mean, who doesn't love animals, right? So it sounded like a natural place. And then there was just, I think it was one too many TBIs where I really needed to figure out something about my brain and how I was going to manage a career and life and everything, which moved me into a the human realm, as we call it. <laughs> and it's crazy to me because I didn't understand that animals had chiropractic work done. And then when I watched you do it to Baton, it blew my mind, the drastic difference it made on him. And Baton is not a human being, he's a dog. <laughs> and um, you had this little thing, you were poking at his spine and then you hit him right in the right spot. And all of a sudden he was alive and happy again. And up to that point, he had just been still and immobile and wasn't making any noise. And afterwards it was like, bam, it was a different so thing. Puppy again, right? Yeah. 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 So that's actually where my conversion from what we call allopathic or traditional medicine came from, from actually my animals going to see a chiropractor when I realized that, okay, there had to be something other than surgery and cutting things off when they no longer were functioning. You know, the knee didn't work or you got injured, you just cut it, right? Cut it, fix it, it's all good. Um, but taking my dogs in, like like you saw with Baton, gave me the ability to go, okay, wait a minute. There's, a prevent- there's something that's truly a preventive medicine. What can we do to help prevent these injuries, to help prevent the sickness, to prevent things? So that's where the the chiropractic train came. And then the TBI came from off of that. So, yeah. So you're, you're, it's clear that you're a proponent of preventative medicine rather than reactive. Yeah. Preventative healthcare, right. As opposed to medicine, um, because medicine is us chasing things down still. Right. But if we can do, if we can help people to learn health care, what does it mean to take care of yourself? Right. And as women, one of the things I think we have a big challenge with is I've watched my grandmother and my great grandmother and my mother and self-care was not something they were ever taught. Right. You went until you fell out. And when you fell out, you figured how to go again. Right. There was just no downtime for you. And so I think now we are giving ourselves permission for self-care. So that's huge. It's nice to see the the tides turning in society with that. I mean, there's plenty of things that I would prefer to see change, uh, you know, eating habits, physical activity, uh, ingestions of water instead of the sodas, but that's a, you know, that's a whole other left field. My point is there's plenty of things that we can do that can help our bodies and our brains and self-care. And those things are starting to be the conversation, which is turning the tide of other things like food and activity. Was that always like that for you? Did you ever, were you involved in sports? Were you one of those kids? Tell me, explain to me, because I mean, this is a drastic change. I'd like to understand how we got here. It is a drastic change. So, um, no, I was a bit of a nerd in school, um, but I also played hard, but it wasn't school sports. It was motorcycles and mini bikes and golf or uh, go-karts. And so I played on that part. So injuries were something I did a lot. You know, I had a few injuries along the way, not just all head injuries, but body injuries too. Um, But I think I put myself through high school and my first years in college um, on Jack in a box, tacos, hamburgers, and strawberry shakes. So (laughs) that's so disgusting. So it definitely wasn't, it wasn't always there, you know? Oh my gosh. I think about that. I think about having one of those one time a week and I go, oh, I'm going to die for like, I'm going to, I'm going to feel that I'm going to be in pain. And that is wild that you just live your life like that. But I mean, that's okay. I just want to make sure we understood why we were the way we were now. Um, Makes a lot more sense. I'll take it. I'll take that from there. So going into med school, is that something you switched over from um, working as a veterinarian type of individual who would really adjust tiny animals to adjusting tiny humans like me? So did you go, which university did you go to and what did that all look like? Well, after after my veterinary, I worked um, in a referral hospital. Um, And so surgery was what we did all day, okay? 
I was in there and then uh, decided to um, start making somewhat of a career change, but I got into health and nutrition. So that's actually where I started from the veterinary into the human was uh, I became a nutritional coach. I got my CCN and, and started doing counseling sessions and, and things like that. And I was working with a chiropractor. And so I really found it fascinating how people would come in and, and massive amounts of pain or have, you know, um, the inability just to move, even if it wasn't a pain related, just the inability to move normally, gait normally, sleep normally, that kind of thing. And watched him and thought, that's amazing. And I think the, the straw was my mom ended up with breast cancer. And so I took six months off um, and spent time with her, helping her through that process and really realizing that I didn't want to be in that type of medicine anymore. I really wanted to be on the other side, preventing some things because, you know, like our moms, we learned to lifestyle habits from our families. And, you know, they, they say that breast cancer is, you know, genetic, but there's a big life, lifestyle component to it, right? And so having learned from her, I didn't want to follow her footsteps with any of that. So that so. would make its own, make you make your own changes right off the bat, which is nice. Absolutely. So okay. after that, I just decided, well, rather than going back to work, this would be a good opportunity to go to school. And my husband was like, hey, it's now or never. In four years, you're going to be four years older, whether you're four years older with a degree or four years older without a degree. So that's how it happened. You went to, you went to Parker University, correct? Yes, Parker in Dallas, Texas. Yeah. Yeah. So I, that's interesting because I now knowing there's a few people going through the program who have experienced um, TBIs and then done treatment with you and then are going into schooling to then benefit and bring that education forward. I spoke with my doc up here about yours, Doc Passy, who I've spoken about on here before. And was telling him some of the small things that we do to just calm my nervous system the fuck down. Um, you're going to love the sticker I got myself for my water bottle the other day, everyone. Is it? I oh. love it. <laughs> just calm the fuck down, right? Just if you could do that, that would be ideal in all aspects of your life. So I was explaining to him the, the gargling and the the, the stimulation with the pen and you guys are all wondering what these are. We're going to get there, chill out. <laughs> and it was really mind blowing to see his response. Cause he, all of a sudden he started thinking in the ways like, okay, that would activate the pairs. Okay. And then that would go to the vagal. And oh my God, that makes so much sense. <laughs> and he was thrilled at the idea of medicine progressing into the space because originally he had started looking at TBIs um, from Dr. Mark Gordon's research that came out in 2015 with uh, Andrew Marr and those programs that they have with Millennium. So when you start doing the schooling that you're doing, I mean, did you have a direction? Like, where were you at? Where was science at when it came to TBIs? Like, how far along were we? We weren't. Um, and we're still not, right? Um most of us um, currently, we were all told, you know, with a head injury, go home, quiet, dark room, three days, you'll be fine. There's no side effects afterwards, right? Um, and then medicine came along, we started to realize people weren't fine. They weren't necessarily all getting better, but there was no answer for the people that weren't getting better. All we were, you know, had the opportunity to tell them is, hey, listen, this is, this is your new norm, right? And so there have been many doctors along the way studying many different types of things going, hey, listen, there, is, there has to be something. We know the brain can change. And if it can change, it can heal. We just had to figure out what all of the steps are to help that brain heal. And now we know it's no longer quiet dark rooms. So as docs started doing research and trying to, you know, stimulate the brain in different ways, we started to see that there were things that we could do. And so even in the last, um, say, 10 years, our knowledge of TBIs have, I mean, have just exponentially increased. So I would say part of it is from our professional sports teams, because they're always looking for something to improve their players 
but more importantly, they have the financial resources to find it, right? On our veteran side, we have, I mean, it is the new signature injury for this decade or two decades of soldiers coming back. Um, you know, and in the past, we've had all the names, right? Shell shock and um, uh, PTS, PTSD. I mean, we've got all the names for it, but it's all the same. It was an unseen war injury from every war in the past to forward, right? And so now as we see all of this, and there's so much great research coming out, not just in your country, our country, um, across the pond, there's really good information coming from there as well. So everyone is looking at it, realizing, hey, listen, I think this is a bigger deal than we, we, you know, we ever knew it could be. And now with the lack of um, good lifestyle, most of us are sedentary. We're not getting, as you mentioned earlier, we're not getting the hydration. We're not getting the nutrition. Um, so we are stimulating our brains, but in the inappropriate ways that are creating bigger issues than just our TBI. Because I know I was looking at, you're bringing up the research, right? And we're, you know, having that discussion. And the reality is it is something that's learned. And I mean, for God's sakes, the TB, we're just now learning. I've got a document in front of me right now. And they talk about, you know, real reaction, real world blast events. And now they're looking at the PSIs. And I believe in Canada, they have now, um, this one's from the Center of New American um, Security, but it is very specific about soldiers in the past 20 years and the blast exposure. And I know that there's a new uh, veteran affairs in Canada, at least I believe is now designating the TBIs under a special operations are currently being the only ones that are being given that diagnosis because of close combat. And so in Canada, I believe they're calling it operational oper operators, uh, operator, like operator blast exposure. There's a specific name they're calling it, but they're not using the, they're not using the word TBI. They're being very specific as new research starts to develop and come out like this. They're being very careful about whom they give that diagnosis to, because if they really had to give it to the amount of people that truly are owed it, they would be fucked. Absolutely. That's it. And in research, you, you, you know, the challenges are you have to set a, a demographic for your research. Right. So mm -hmm. you have to set, you know, age, height, weight, sex, all of it. You have to set that. And then you do the research. So they picked a one group that they, the demographics were as controlled as possible. And that's where they performed it. So I understand why the research is very limited there. Um, yeah. It makes sense for them in the research world. It makes sense to get that research out. Um, because you have so many different branches of military and so many different jobs inside of that, I mean, that will eventually open up to military personnel, but it's going to take, it's, it's going to take time. Oh, it's definitely going to take time. And uh, the way that the governments do it, it's going to take a lot of time. So, I mean, for example, the one article in front of me is from 2019. And it's called primary blast induced traumatic brain injury, current research of defense research and development of Canada. Well, I know that for fact, they just like, the, there's only been like one or two people that have been classified as this. And this is since 2019. And so they've been very aware and very cognizant of these things. And I think, I think that's the, the thing too, is knowing how to make sure that you're watching for these signs and symptoms, because if, if your leadership isn't, we need to be. So people who we know have been exposed or had head injuries as kids, things like that. What are tell signs, ones that are just very, very easy to correlate with a TBI? ADHD, ADD. <laughs> cool. I don't know anything about that. So one mm -hmm. of the things I think we hear the most from, from a childhood injury that was unresolved, but, and some of them were even undiagnosed, right? is because, you know, we just didn't know enough about it. Um, you know, if you weren't vomiting and laying on the ground and lost consciousness, you, you must not have had a concussion, you're okay, go on, right? But ADD is one of the bigger classic symptoms. Now I'm not saying every person with ADD has a brain injury, but I am saying there's a higher incident than once thought. And so now that child goes through school and now we're having learning difficulties because 
diagnosed or undiagnosed ADD. And so now they're not, so there's an emotional component to it, a psychological component that goes to it because there's a self-esteem, right? Of not being able to perform in school to the parents' expectations or our school's expectations. And then that the person gets through there and say they do decide to join the military, they go into the military and now they're continuing that um, uh, possible injury that was never healed, right? And so now we have multiple blast injuries and now they get to a point in their career. Um, I think we had one the other day, 19.5 years. Well, that's significant in the States because at 20 years, that's when you, you know, you, you get your good retirement from. And so they medically retired this guy out at 19 and a half years. So he doesn't receive any of that. And they retired him out after the list of, of accommodate, or, um, uh, thing, oh, um, what is it called, Kelsey? Is it a military term? Yes. Um, like his, the things that he's had happened to him or like the, his, um, the medals and like the accolades. Yes. All of his accolades. So is, is longer than I am tall and I'm five, nine. Okay. Oh. I mean, his accolades are huge and they retired him out. And I just, in my mind, it just blows my mind. And it's because of a head injury that's unresolved. Right. Yeah. That's gross. That's gross. That it's, bothers me a lot. It's, it, there's so many things about it that are bad. <laughs> There's all, I mean, all of them. I don't know that one of them is positive, but we were, we were kind of getting into, you know, signs and symptoms that this guy would have noticed, right? No, it's important because somebody like him, who's been in a job like that, I'm sure he's been struggling with several of those symptoms that went unchecked. So some of the biggest ones we see on the military side, um, sleeplessness, insomnia, rampant insomnia, or sleeping 22 plus hours a day and unable to get up and uh, just engage with life, right? So it's too much or too little on that. Then um, depression comes because the insomnia is so bad. And then pain levels start to increase. So things that once were, oh, you know, my shoulder hurts a little bit is my shoulder's excruciating. I'm ready to do surgery. I don't even care what you do to cut it, do whatever you need to, but make it better. So now we're unregulated pain cycles. And then there's usually um, a component to the GI that goes along with that. Um, diarrhea or constipation. So now the GI system isn't working. So now the, pay, the person's not getting the nutrients. So now the fatigue is unrelenting because of the insomnia, the GI and the depression. Right. So this just this umbrella just keeps getting bigger and bigger. Okay. What are the other things? Cause I know there's plenty of other little symptoms that we caught on to that I thought were perfectly normal behavior. What were some of those things that you thought were perfectly normal behavior? <laughs> Chronic migraines, apparently, I thought was an acceptable thing to live with every day. Um, in general, right? Any kind of headache you can describe. Um, and generally for most uh brain injury they have different types of headache. So one of the things you and I discussed is, you know, in your paperwork, you put down the headaches, describe your headaches to me, tell me how many different types you have, because it's not the same. A non-sleeping headache is going to be different than your stress headache, which is going to be different than your migraine, which is a vascular headache. Okay. What so was another thing? Yeah. Headaches are huge. My inability to balance was fantastic. That was cute. I can balance on one leg, but God, do I ever sigh, just sway like a 90 year old woman in a rocking chair. So balance becomes a big deal because what happens when people are unbalanced, they get another head injury, right? They fall. Um, walking, people that are trying to walk through a doorway and they clip a shoulder every time. People that are trying to drive to a place that they've been a hundred times, but they still have to use GPS because they can't get there anymore. Okay. So spatial awareness uh, and regulation, emotional regulation is a big one. When someone is in chronic pain and they're depressed and they haven't slept, their ability to regulate their emotions is very challenging. So one of the things 
you heard me say maybe once or a thousand times is Fine. do you cry at cat commercials <laughs> when when your emotions are unchecked generally what you're going to see is you look at something and you become really emotional which then makes you angry because you're you, you ask yourself why am i upset by that that doesn't even make sense right so then there's a so the people go most of brain injured people bounce back and forth between two primary emotions and those aren't the same for everyone for some people it's you know anger and tears for some people it's apathy and um anger you know it just it depends so i generally ask people what two emotions do you find yourself spending time between i mean that makes sense <laughs> Um, what's another thing that I, I'm using myself as the example because I, I don't care. Um, let's see. Uh, I know my hearing was already shit. So we had that off. That was a banger. Um, oh, I learned about dysautonomia. Why don't you describe to people what the hell that is? So one of the other things that we see dysautonomia is your brain's inability to regulate your autonomic nervous system. What does that mean? That means all the things in your body that are automated like heart rate and blood pressure and breathing, things like that, all automated. We don't have to think about them. We can at any time, but we don't have to. And so what we see is oftentimes someone with relatively normal, because you guys, when you entered the military, you're, you were medically checked and your blood pressure was good. And now all of a sudden you're either high blood pressure or you're super low blood pressure medical community really pays attention to high blood pressure. We know all the long-term effects from that, from kidney damage to stroke, to this, to that, right? We, we know all of that, it's out there and people check for it. The one that they're not really paying attention to is low blood pressure. Nine times out of 10, if we have a patient come in with low blood pressure, they say, oh, my blood pressure is great. My doc told me so. And I ask them, what is your blood pressure? Oh, it's a, it's a hundred over 60. And as my eyes bug out of my head, I say, no, that's not great. There's nothing not ideal. about that. <laughs> no, you're going to die. <laughs> what they're not realizing is there's one major organ that lives above the heart, right? One, that's the brain. So if the heart pumps down and it uses gravity to get that blood down, what the hell is getting the blood up and what is getting it above the pump? So there's a lot that has to go into that. And if your blood pressure is low, you're the person now with cold hands, cold feet, and the term we call it is a cold brain. You're just not getting the blood flow efficiently to the brain like you need it. And little things that I learned is apparently when you cross your legs a lot, that's because your blood pressure sucks. It does happen. Yes. <laughs> you, Hey, you laugh at these things, but this is stuff that people ask about. They want to know, yes. they want to understand. And I'm like, ah, I, she told me all these great things. <laughs> Let I me learn again, you, though, but I gave you the opportunity to see them. Right. Right. So you got, you had the opportunity to, there, there were times that I said, I'm going to let you do it your way. And then I'm going to show you a different way to do that. So you understand it like the wall when we were up at the wall, right? Oh, I don't. Oh, you mean the wall, the wall of death? <laughs> Everything is like the spinny chair of death. It's the wall of death or there's, you know, they're all, they all suck when your brain sucks. They all, they all feel like death, but that's, that's the truth though, is that means there's something really wrong and that's quite all right. It's quite all right to have something wrong. What's not all right is to leave it and not try and fix it. Well, and you know, sometimes Kelsey, as you very well know, it's not that you haven't tried for years. You've Correct. been trying. It's that you just couldn't find a place that one understood what was going on and two said, yeah, we can help you with that. And if right. we can't, we'll find somebody who can. Right. And I think that's the key. And that's why having these um, discussions is so important. What's another lovely thing that I wasn't good at? Oh, memory. Or let's, let's hit another one. My inability to hit a metronome on, on tap. Timing. Explain why that is important. <laughs> okay. So your brain has um, processing speeds. So when you're having a conversation with someone, if you are dropping words or losing words or, you know, 
things that you that are in your common vocabulary and all of a sudden you just can't pull a word occasionally that happens to all of us it's not abnormal for that but when you're in a daily conversation and you're having to ask people for that word over and over right something that you your son's name right your the day you got married the you know day you entered or the day you exited the military so so many of those things that you know should be locked into your memory and it's not locked in or words that you've always known um accolades uh words that you've always known but you couldn't you just couldn't find it anymore so it's a processing how fast is your brain processing that information and how fast can you get that information out so that metronome having instant feedback allows you to see i know your brain thinks your timing is normal but you were able to see it by the hundredth of a second how far off you were too fast or too slow so your brain processed it then your hands had to match it and then sometimes that brain processing and hand matching speed was a real challenge. Yeah, it's a super big challenge. I'm fine with saying that. We were discussing dysautonomia. Yes. And, and what that is and why that seems to be worse with women. Because I know there's women and listeners that are like, I just have headaches and stressed and my stomach is fine because I eat dairy. I also just forgot because I have too many kids. No, honey. No, stop it. <laughs> so men... The challenge that men do not have that we have is from day one uh, in the month to day 28, 30, or 31, whatever the month is, they, their hormones are, should be exactly the same, right? There's not a big fluctuation. But in females, we have two weeks out of the month where we're high inflammatory and two weeks out of the month where we're low inflammatory. And if you happen to get your head injury during a high inflammatory point, then your head injury is going to take longer to heal. It's a more of a challenge. So women get two good weeks out of the month to awesome. really work on healing and two weeks to work on, let me get the inflammation back down. And so our injuries take longer. And so treating female brain injuries, it's a very different thing than treating male brain injuries and often takes us a bit longer to get you to the same point. So why is dysautonomia an issue? Because blood pressure is an issue. Having mm -hmm. no blood to your brain is an issue. Having your brainstem work effectively and efficiently is an issue. Mm -hmm. So symptoms of dysautonomia include, and, and not, 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 not all of them, car sickness, inability to flip your head backwards, inability <laughs> to flip your head forwards, inability to sit in a chair when they spin you and not feel like you're going to vomit. And then also feel like your head's doing backflips. Did I miss so any? Part of, part of that is dysautonomia and part of that is vestibular, but they work cool. They work well together. Let's talk about vestibular and why that's an issue. So as you just, you mentioned car sickness, um, your vestibular system takes into account different areas of your of your brain and your body so your eyes play a huge role in your vestibular system the balance centers or the canals in your ears play a huge role and then do you know where your feet are do you know where you are in space those are all parts of the vestibular system so when someone's testing you they're going to test all of those parts and then they're going to take each one of those away to figure out which one you're actually relying on to keep you standing every day um, and which one when it's not working leaves you laying in the bed and unable to get up mm. Mm. <laughs> they all suck they all suck when they don't work <laughs> they do yeah and they, and i didn't think those were all issues yeah. i thought that i could just i just got car sick I thought that I just didn't like looking at trains or screens that scroll or, you know, movement. <laughs> so it was normal. Get, you didn't get to control on your own. Yes, exactly. And there was, you know, there was something else that was really interesting that I learned a little bit more about when I was down there. And it was obviously what you put in your body is what you turn into and things like that. We, we discussed that, but 
eating for things like blood types and why those things are uh, effective. Those are things that people can go out and go to chapters or Barnes and Noble, grab the blood type book and figure it out without having to, you know, go to a clinic. Right. Do you want to talk to me a little bit about that? Yeah. And that's, you know, there are different thoughts on different eating plans and most of us really don't have what I consider an eating plan. Most of us just kind of eat and we don't think a whole lot about it. And, but optimal eating comes from partly from your genetics. You know, we should be eating things that are in season at that time for where we are. Okay. Bananas are not ripe all year long. Bananas don't necessarily grow all year long. And you probably shouldn't be eating bananas 12 months out of the year. And that goes for everything else. Right. And so eating right for your blood type is just one of the eating plans out there. And most of us have heard of paleo and keto and, you know, all these other different types of eating plans, all of which are good at the right time for the right person. Okay. Um, keto became very fashionable, but the keto blood type, I mean, the keto eating plan has been around for more than 50 years. And we used it in the beginning for seizure patients. We use it today for seizure patients. One of the things we know about seizure patients, they have brain inflammation. Well, guess what TBI patients have? Brain inflammation. So ah. a lot of people have gone on keto and had some success with reducing symptoms because it reduced brain inflammation. There are people that have gone on paleo, had success because they eliminated major food groups that were inflammatory to them, the Mediterranean diet. So then that's eating right for your blood type. There are thoughts in there when you start to read the book um, where Dr. Diadamo and his father, you know, talk a little bit about that. And it just says that, you know, your blood type tend to process different foods, different ways. And these are the things that are easy for you to process and be able to absorb nutrition from. And so you will do very well with this, where you um, or myself, I'm an O blood type. One of the things I absolutely love is cheese, um, which is absolutely terrible for O blood types but it pings on the opioid receptors in my brain and I love it, right? <laughs> so, but I do know that if I decide that I'm gonna consume that, there are side effects and I know I'm going to have to deal with the repercussions. So it gets to a point when you start to feel good and you realize what your food triggers are um, that you then go, eh, maybe it's not worth it for me to eat that bowl of ice cream today, okay? And Depends on the day though, right? Nope. You just find a new source. So you switch mm. over from cow's milk to coconut milk and go, eh, I can do and it. And go, <laughs> that sucks too. No, that's just, that's a terrible, coconut milk is a terrible comparison. It, go oat milk at least, like give yourself a chance. What are you doing uh, with your life? Can't, can't do the grain, then they have to go to the coconut. So but there are choices. And, and that's the nice thing about finding an eating plan that's really going to work for you. So there isn't one that works for everyone. In that book, they break it down into four specifics. But what I like about um, that eating plan is you can't go on to, to Google or Pinterest or whatever and look up something that somebody put out there as their version of that diet. Okay. Like people's version of the keto diet. And they just Put something out there and people google it and they're like hey here it is read the book if you want to know what it's about read it understand it you're more likely to stick to it if you understand why eating this is better than eating that ah uh, so i see why you teach and work on people in the clinic the way you do you teach them and you do it to them instead of just saying do it right if uh -huh. i educate you then you will educate others and you will then in turn help people who are in a situation and see themselves in you, right? Yeah, because we're like the TBI cool kids. We're the cult kids. It's fine. We're saying, listen, I pulled this on a podcast this week with Alexander Ludwig. You think I'm joking and I'm not. He was like, yeah, I love reading books. I used to love reading books, but I fall asleep when I read them. And I was like, stop. Let me ask you a few questions, follow-ups. He goes, what is that? I said, did you ever hit your head as a kid? He goes, oh yeah, I used to play sports. I said, you have a TBI. 
He goes, what? I said, homie, you probably have a TBI. I said, let me hit you with some more symptoms. You tell me if any of these check out. And he's like, I don't have too many of those yet, but the sleeping one with just with the books, that's the concern right now. And I'm like, all right, we should get this checked. Yeah, I get it. When you, when you understand what's wrong with you, you want to make sure that if anybody else is going through it, you want to get help for them. That's, that's human nature. That's, that's how people should be. That's common sense. Or point them in a direction and say, Hey, if you find that that is enough of a problem that you want to get it checked out, these are some of the types of practitioners you should look for, right? These right. are the types of people that can help because we're kind of stuck in our traditional methods. Um, if I'm sick, I'll call my, my primary care doc. And if I need to go somewhere, he'll give me the referral. He only gives you the referral if he knows who to refer you to. But if he doesn't understand your symptoms and he doesn't know who to refer you to, then you don't necessarily receive the referral that you need. Yeah, then you turn into me and Brady. <laughs> or as my mother would say, Brady and I. <laughs> Fine. Yeah. So what's, what's interesting to me is the, the modalities that you use down there. Mm-hmm. The things that you really use that help change and, and make substantial, um, substantial change in a two week period. Can you talk about any of them? The ones that we kind of haven't gone over, like the spinny death chair sure. or the electrocuting me with water. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, please. So the, the two week time frame that you refer to is, is kind of a jumping off point, right? It's not the end to your, to your program and it's not the end to your healing journey. It is two weeks worth of education and brain stimulation to get you moving into a healthy direction. So the spinny chair, as as everyone you know names it, something different. I think right now it says hamster wheel, wheel of death. I mean, there's all kinds of great nicknames for it, but we use um, that. It's an off-axis rotation device, also known as OVARD. Okay, medical. Uh, jargon terminology stuff thrown out there. Um, But we use that to better activate uh, different types of muscle groups. We can use that to help with your vestibular system. Um, We can use that to like symptom wise with your car sickness and your um, inability to to, uh, handle when things are moving quickly in front of your eyes. So we can use it for a lot of different types of conditions or symptoms that we're dealing with. What else do we got there that I didn't like? You electrocuted me with water. Electrocute you in water. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So there is a device that was uh, designed originally for diabetics with neuropathy, but we see neuropathy, which means um, a change in sensation in someone's uh, generally when we're dealing with it is extremities, right? So either your feet have gone numb and you can't feel your legs anymore or feel them normally, or you have pins and needles in them, or you have burning sensations in them, or you're the person at the end of the day who says, I've got to get my shoes off. I feel like my feet are suffocating, okay? All of these types of things mean that the input from the feet going to the brain is inappropriate or maladaptive, right? And so that piece of equipment will actually help us to improve sensation to those extremities, but it also helps with blood flow. So if we have someone that comes in saying, I have cold hands and feet, we've got to get blood flow to those extremities in order for the brain to even recognize that they're there, right? And you can't perform uh, a therapy or a test or anything well if you can't feel them. So we have to get better sensation, better blood flow. I mean, that's ideal. Again, being able to feel your feet is something that we try to strive for. (laughs) It's really small steps over here. (laughs) Small steps. Small steps with small feet. It's perfectly fine. No, but I talk about these things because there's, there's, the, the modalities that you use are obviously very helpful and um, make massive, massive difference. But looking at the chemical imbalance that we have with individuals is something that is so overlooked. And I know that for a fact, because in Canada, we had to get special permissions. We had to get a blood, <laughs> blood wreck from the United States because they don't check a lot of the things 
that you should normally be checking on. Right. Why is that important? <laughs> so you have to one, first understand what a TBI is in order to say, hey, I need these labs because this affects the brain, right? If these things are off, then I know the brain's not working like it's supposed to. And most of your primary care docs do not have a good understanding of TBI, which is why they refer you out. Those are good things. But they also are unwilling to order lab work that they can't explain because they have to create what's called medical necessity in order to order something, right? If I need to order a lab and they can't create medical necessity for it because they don't understand it. So you need to someone, you need to know how they, um, you need to know those inflammatory markers. You need to know their hormones. You need to know if vitamin B, which is the most common vitamin that the body uses, right? Need to know if they have any, right? And, and all the different types of vitamin B that they should be using. And what are their electrolytes like? And what are their, you know, mineral situation? And so there's a lot that goes into the chemical parts of you. And if someone is on a medication that they just absolutely hate, but they haven't found an alternative to it, then you have to look at those labs to figure out that chemistry to find out if that's something that they can eventually wean off of and move into a nutraceutical is what we call it or supplements, right? Um, and, and maintain on that for a period of time until they can get their brain to do it for themselves. And then the goal eventually is to get off of medications if we can. Yeah, because most of the time, the patients that you have coming in, they're on medication that the government just loves to use. Lots of it. Mm -hmm. Lots and lots of it. And I'm sure trying to treat that while trying to treat other TBIs, I mean, it seems like that would either impede, I can't see it helping the situation at all. You know, there are medications that um, the brain just, it shuts down what's called neurogenesis. Neurogenesis is the brain's ability to make new. And there are meds that absolutely prevent that. And if a patient is on that, we can't map around that. And so there, there are times where we have to handle the metabolic weeks to months in advance to see if we can get those medications decreased or even eliminated before they come in for TBI treatment because we can't get around the med. And that, that makes the most sense. I mean, I, I could understand. You can only do so much when something's blocking a signal from being fired. I know, I know with me in particular, that's, you know, a lot of the things that we discussed, like they all funder, uh, fall under frontal lobe things. And um, can you kind of go through why that functionality is so critical to just, you know, living like a normal human being? <laughs> it is where your personality comes from. So oh, fantastic. Oh yeah. My tisms. We talked about it. Yeah. I so remember. That frontal lobe, um, it's, it's also known as the mother of the brain um, or executive function, right? It is what keeps everything else in check. It is what, you know, when your brain is racing and things are going and I mean, everything, it's, it's the part of the brain that says, okay, just, just take a deep breath, calm down. Is it a good idea, right? So, you know, on you guys, we, we like to use um, examples like skydiving. Is it a good idea today, right? Or racing your motorcycle at 140. Is it a good idea during rush hour on the highway in Dallas, Texas, right? So things like that. It's the, it's the area of, the, of your brain that basically controls all the other. And so when that frontal lobe isn't engaging, that's where some of these crazy symptoms start to shine, right? That emotionality, that insomnia, um, the inabilities to make decisions, all of that starts to really become rampant. You could pick five things for people to watch for that they could maybe go to their doctors and say, hey, I'm experiencing X, Y, and Z heard it on a podcast, a little concerned about my life. <laughs> what would those top five things be to look for? If you could give me five solid ones. Um, insomnia would be a big one. 
depression would be another one, um, severe fatigue, the inability to read with focus and concentration, and uh, racing heart rate. Interesting. Good. Okay, good. I need to know. I got to know. People got to know, man. Um, you guys are supported a lot, uh, through organizations though, uh, that put veterans through the programs, which if people were going to want to support vets that go through the program with you at the resiliency, uh, brain health, um, center, wh who would they support and how would they do that? So, um, two of the organizations right off are going to be defenders of freedom and you can find them uh, on most social media under defendersoffreedom.us. And then the other one is the Coast to Coast Foundation. Uh, those are two big groups that are doing a lot of amazing work for TBI uh, veterans right now. Okay, well, we'll make sure to put those in there. So if people want to learn a little more about the clinic itself, if they're a civilian and they think that there's an issue that they're suffering from, how do they do that? So you can always get online uh, at resiliencybhforbrainhealth.com and you can find the clinic that way. The telephone number for the clinic would be 469-790-7343. So you can call that. If you guys are calling from Canada, then our, our code is a plus one. Um, so that, that's the ways that you can kind of look us up and see what we're doing. We're on, you know, different types of social media. So whichever platform you guys are, uh, spending most of your time on with your brain injury, when you shouldn't be on the computer, that would be the place to go find us. <laughs> that it's fine. If I wear blue, like let's just wear blue light glasses and then have to have good posture. That was one of the discussions. Uh, that was a big discussion. A lot of discussion, a lot uh, of yes. discussion. Um, uh, there's some limiting to the blue light. Uh, it's not just about uh, willy nilly with the glasses. I can do as much as I want, but you know, we'll I mean, I mean, but they're there and I wear them. So it's fine. It solves the problem, right? It's fantastic. Drink water and wear the glasses. Everything will be fine. Everything, all the Everything. things, <laughs> all of the things. Well, no, I'm, I'm really grateful that you got, um, you took the time because I do know, and I've been telling the listeners that we're going to be having docs from um, your clinic, you yourself and um, Doc Michelle on the show to, you know, to talk a little bit more about TBIs and the brain health and really what's going on with the research and how individuals can get help so that they don't have to keep living in the position that they are. Um, so thank you so much for taking the time and we'll make sure to plug everybody's, um, all the socials that are attached and all of the charities that you can use to help support um, the platform that you guys are building out there, which is state of the art. And you like, as people have heard me say has been something that's been life-changing. So thank you for awesome. your time. Appreciate your time. Thanks so much. It was fun. No. Good. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Uh, yeah, I know you stick with me. Uh, Doc G everyone, everyone else. We'll see y'all next week. <laughs>